it's time to talk about all things mental health. This is Get Mental with Cecile Ahrens. As a seasoned licensed therapist, Cecile is the owner of Transcend Therapy and is here to inform, guide, and connect you on the big and small everyday happenings that affect our mental and emotional well-being. Cecile is passionate about making a lasting and positive impact on people, connecting them to their own wisdom and strength while having a little fun along the way. Get ready to challenge the power of your human spirit. It's time to get mental. And now here's your host, Cecile Ahrens. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Get Mental Podcast. Thank you for being here today. Um, As always, I hope you guys are having a good week. A lot of people are feeling a lot more positive and hopeful because of the results of our 2020 election. And I know that some people, at least the other, almost the other half of our country is feeling not so hopeful and not so great, like I've said before. So I'm still on this, this thing where I'm thinking about the psychological effects of all the different processes that have occurred, or I've observed anyway, to have occurred uh, for us psychologically as human beings. So it got me down to thinking about winning and losing and why as human beings we tend to favor winning over losing. And I thought, well, there are obvious reasons for that, but what really are the deeper reasons for that? Why are we obsessed with it And we've built a whole culture around winning, especially in the United States, but it's not unique to us, right? Just look at our sports. And we start with this thing at a very early age. So I just really started to think about that. Last time it was hope that I was pondering on. And this week it's why we hate losing and why we love winning and why people are, certain people are drawn to cheat or do anything or and everything that they can to win. So here's here are some of the things that I found out, okay? First of all, my specific personal thoughts about winning is, you know, it makes us feel powerful. It establishes a certain level of dominance. It establishes a certain level of superiority. And I think it's biologically rewarding, meaning it makes us feel good, okay? But you're going to be surprised what the research tells me about why losing is even worse because of what it does to our bodies. It was fascinating. So is winning ultimately about power? And is losing, if that is the hypoth- uh, hypothesis here, is losing then ultimately about vulnerability and disempowerment? A lot of you might say yes. Okay, but bear with me because this is kind of a, a, a bigger, deeper, there are a lot of deeper uh, layers around, around this subject and it's bigger than what it seems on the outside. So um, I have a bunch of notes here, so pardon me. Okay, I want to make sure I don't miss anything. So winning, let's start with that. First of all, winning increases our testosterone, which in turn increases our dopamine levels which in effect gives us a high, a sense of high, similar to, you know, the high you would get if uh, you were addicted to something and you took the substance or you're addicted to a person or food and you, you had your fix, so to speak. That's how powerful winning is. There's literally a cellular effect and it lights up the reward centers of our brain. 
and it gives us this peak performance, the satisfaction, the high from a peak performance. And I don't know about you, but I don't know anybody who's not going for some kind of peak performance or peak experience, sorry. So it makes sense, right? Why we're, we're drawn to it, why we prefer it over losing. But here's the interesting thing. Did you know that losing actually is harder on our bodies? Like we feel it more powerfully and more intensely than winning? I'm gonna share with you a study here. In 2011, a study tracked eye movement and heart rate and discovered that people become far more active and physically impacted in response to losing than winning. And another thing is that other studies have found that um, the, the what's called electrodermal response, that is what's uh, the electrical, electrical characteristics in the skin goes far more haywire when we lose versus when we win. So there's a direct evidence here of what's literally happening to our body all the way from our skin and possibly, you know, down to our cells, I would argue, where it's just something that happens. It's not something we're doing. It's just an automatic response. It's almost like it's built in to our nature, okay? So if you wanna learn more about this, uh, you could go to an article, bustle.com. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of other different sources too, but this is just kind of an overview. So that's how powerful it is for us to win, and that's how powerful, negatively powerful, for us to lose. Another thing I wanna share is according to psychology professor Ian Robertson of Trinity College in Dublin, he says that all species have hierarchies. So you can kind of relate to that, like just look at you know animals and look at people. We, we tend to still you know respond to hierarchy and chain of command and authority and so forth. So our position, according to Dr. Uh, Robertson, our position in that, in that hierarchy will determine our health, our mental function, and our mood. So it's important that we end up winning or being good enough somehow because we are wired to think and, and, and believe, right, from kind of this, um, uh, the way our brains have um, evolved that our health, our mental function, and our mood, and I dare to say our survival, is dependent upon where we are in the hierarchy. And the higher we are in the hierarchy means we are safer, healthier, and happier. So perhaps on an unconscious level, that's what drives us to win. Because the higher we, us on the, higher we are on the hierarchy, okay, I'm gonna repeat it, the more happy, healthy, stable, and safe we feel. So imagine being number one on that hierarchy, which is kind of the, the ultimate, you know, goal of winning, right? It gives you that, that sense, and I would argue a false sense of safety and, um, and uh, stability, okay? Because we don't have those kind of threats anymore. Our, our threats are lar largely psychological now. We're not literally trying to keep, you know, ourselves alive because we're gonna be eaten by a lion, right? But to me, what's fascinating is that how automatic these responses are. 
So it, it behooves me to think that it's not just a psychological state, but it's largely a biological process. The good news is, I'm always about the good news, is we actually can still practice how to be better losers and that we can go against our very biology and our, our, our lizard brain, as we call it, you know, which is really the, the oldest part of our brain that is concerned with survival. We could retrain our minds, our brain, and our bodies so that we can have a, a more healthy attitude to, to losing. And you're, we're seeing that a lot in a lot of organized sports, you know, people are not killing each other because they lost, right? There are a lot of people who have been able to model to us um, healthy ways of losing. And so it got me thinking, well, what, what, are the, what are the qualities or what helps with that? What helps you become a better loser, a healthy kind of graceful response? What helps people, you know, cultivate that? So I'm going to enumerate some of the things that I believe contributes to being able to um, learn to deal with the loss in a healthy way. So first of all, we need to learn to differentiate between healthy and unhealthy competition. So healthy competition, on, 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 generally speaking, is when, you know, you're in organized sports or even politics or something where there's a system uh, of evaluation, there's a system in which results are tallied and there's a consensus of what winning looks like and what it what the rules of engagement are okay unhealthy competition is really you know generally speaking again it's when you are constantly comparing yourself to others constantly competing against others when you know really it's it's your insecurity it's your feeling of inadequacy it's it's driven by other unconscious or conscious motivations to um one up somebody okay um, and there's a lot of reasons why you might do that in my experience that's usually largely rooted in earlier childhood experiences and your conditioning and often trauma as well so if that's something you're struggling with that and chronically you know struggling with that's the time to seek the help of a therapist okay so it's unhealthy okay here are some guidelines unhealthy for you if your identity is predominantly organized by what you do and how much you win, okay? So if your identity is predominantly organized by what you do and by how much you win, okay? Then losing for, for, for you, if you're in this category, becomes a reflection of your personal worth and value as a person. It then becomes really hard to look at losing as an objective, you know, outcome that that occurred because of all of these external factors okay so it's hard to, for you to not see it as a personal failure have you ever heard athletes talk I love it when like they talk about you know they talk to athletes who who have lost and what athletes have to say and a lot of times the people who really I feel um, exhibit a healthy state of mind around losing are the ones who are able to verbalize some of the initial impressions and analysis that they have on how, why he or she lost or why their team lost, right? When they're describing, 
characteristics of the play, of the team, of where they might have fallen short, and they're able to talk objectively about where the winning team or the winning person may have had an advantage. That's what we're going for. That's healthy losing, right? You have an objectivity about it. You're not internalizing it and turning it into untrue statements about yourself. And it is not a direct reflection of your personal worth or value as a human being, okay? You can take it as feedback, not as failure, okay? And again, in my experience, when it's hard to do that, usually there are a lot of what we call negative core beliefs that are associated with that. And those are things that a skilled therapist can help you unpack and uh, most of the time really resolve or at least get you to a much healthier place with, okay? So please, please, please um, don't underestimate the life-changing power of good therapy. So, the other way to kind of differentiate whether you're on an unhealthy track as far as losing and winning is if your sense of safety is dependent upon whether you win or not, okay? So I'm not talking about, you know, war or death situations. That's a lot more complicated subject and I can see why we'd want to win in those circumstances, right? Because we really are talking about our national safety and security, sometimes, not all the time, but that's a different conversation. What I'm talking about here is when you falsely think that your sense of safety, right, is dependent upon you winning. So why I say falsely is because a lot of times you're, you really are safe even if you lose. You might feel psychologically shitty and disempowered, but you're safe. You know, there is no real threat or danger other than the one we've imagined in our minds. And again, self-compassion, right? Hopefully you're realizing the reason why that's hard is because of all the physiological processes that are going on when we lose, as I had described earlier on in this talk. The next thing that you can look at is you, or reflect upon is, do you try to win at all costs? You know, do you lie, cheat, manipulate, ultimately only thinking about yourself versus what's in the best interest of the group, okay? Do you try to win at all costs? If the answer is yes, and you are willing to lie, cheat, manipulate, and just think about your own self-interest and self-preservation, then that is definitely unhealthy, very damaging, not just for others, but to you, unbeknownst to you perhaps, and there is a better way, okay? There's a better way to fill your cup, to, um, to, to feel good or better about yourself, to get your needs met for significance. There's a better way to get your needs met for significance. And, you know, seek the help of a therapist because if you're in that kind of pattern, that's really, um, that it will take some time to unstick that, but it is doable if you're willing to put in the time and the, and the work and the resources, okay? Um, so the last thing I want to talk about as far as like the, the checklist here is you get into a toxic shame spiral and internalized loss as a personal failure. So very similar to my first point, right? So shame is a big um, piece that we often feel when we're not aware enough, when we are not in a healthy state of mind, when we lose, OK? 
okay? Because shame is basically the message that there's something inherently wrong with me. It but becomes really, really personal. And there's something inherently wrong with me. And there's something defective about me. And again, those are usually rooted in core beliefs, which are usually um, rooted in earlier childhood experiences of pain, abuse, neglect, trauma. Um, so something to really think about if there's often a lot of shame, it's not going to be something you're just going to be um, affirm your way out of, meaning it's not something you're just going to be able to, you know, give yourself two or three affirmations and you're going to be out of the shame spiral. No, this stuff is really deep and really kind of um, uh, internally complex. So that's where you, you would need the support and the guidance of a skilled therapist, okay? There's a difference between saying I lost versus I'm a loser. There's a difference, a massive difference between saying I failed versus I'm a failure. So to be able to say I lost or my team lost is a healthy um, approach to losing versus saying I'm a loser, I'm a failure. That's when you know you've started to internalize. That's when you know you've started to turn that event into untrue statements about yourself, okay? So it might take a little bit of therapy to really discern between those two ways of being. I lost versus I'm a loser. I failed versus I'm a failure, okay? The difference there is I lost is a factual statement. It's an objective statement. It's not a reflection of you, your personhood. I'm a loser is a direct reflection of your worth, your value, your personhood, and that's what we don't want to happen every time we don't get our way. That's what we don't want to happen every time we lose, okay? Those are untrue statements. Um, so again, if this is something you're struggling with, please um, really consider the help of a therapist. The last thing I want to talk about is, is what's called negativity bias. Some of you may have heard that before, but basically negative negativity bias is you know, our tendency as human beings to um, focus on what's wrong because the negative thoughts and experiences actually affect us more powerfully than positive experiences and neutral experiences, okay? Do you follow me? So there's a reason we're so drawn to negativity. It actually has a more powerful effect on our minds and our bodies than when we are observing something positive or something neutral. So to break this down even more, winning, to remind you guys again, as I mentioned earlier, increases our testosterone levels and our dopamine levels. And losing, which is commonly considered a negative experience, will tend to stay with us even more deeply than winning, okay? Loss is felt more powerfully in the body than a win. Even though a win increases our level of testosterone and dopamine and lights up the reward centers of our brain, loss is felt more powerfully in the body than a win. In other words, we feel the pain of loss more so than the joy of winning. Okay, I'm gonna repeat that. We feel the pain of loss more so 
than the joy of winning. Oh my God, isn't that fascinating? I mean, I'm geeking out here. You know, I think this is right in line with what we know about trauma, okay? This is right in line wh um, with what we know about how traumatic experiences impact the body and how these experiences leave such an indelible mark in our psyches, in our spirits. Okay, this is why we remember the abuse or the violations or the attacks so vividly as if it just happened. I think there, you know, there's a strong correlation there. A huge or significant loss is often traumatic, right? And we know, like I said, what trauma does. We have enough science um, to understand what trauma does to our bodies and to our system. So um, I think it is it is a very, you know, for me anyway, and as a therapist, like a, an eye-opening experience of why losing um, can be so, uh, like a, something we really try to avoid, you know? I mean, on the outside, it looks like the reasons are obvious, but, but once you understand the neuroscience and how it really affects us on a cellular level, I hope it makes more sense to you why people are actually, you know, some people are, are really um, vulnerable to winning at all costs, you know, especially if you don't have a very intact sense of self, okay? I hypothesized that maybe this built-in negativity bias must be due to our old way of surviving. And perhaps it is a necessary kind of evolutionary functioning for us at the time. And, you know, I'm talking about like caveman years when we literally had to run away from predators. So, Allah, alas, um, my, um, my hypothesis was supported by some of the research that I dug up. And it appears that, you know, our brain just, you know, hasn't caught up yet with the fact that we are literally in a different environment. We are no longer literally running for our lives and that we don't need to make sure that we are high enough on the social hierarchy to be safe or that we no longer need to equate winning with being safe and protected. We are not there yet in our evolution and I don't know when that's going to be, but to me it's an exciting proposition that part of this is largely rooted in our evolution and in our you know kind of primitive ways of survival because then that means there's hope and that there are ways that we can affect this and um, begin to address this okay and I'm gonna talk about that in a few minutes like what do we do with it now that we know what it is and how automatic some of these re responses are of course, there are some exceptions to what I'm talking about, such as issues that maybe threaten our national security, for example. So, of course, you know, you do want to make sure you are um, safe and winning, you know, defense-wise. defense, defense -wise. So, I can see the argument for that because there is an actual potential threat to our very survival. And we're not there as a society yet 
where we really believe we don't need a military, right? Some of us are intellectualizing that and, you know, trying to reimagine all these things, but evolutionary speaking, evolutionarily speaking, I don't think we're there yet. Collective, our collective consciousness is not ready for that because that would be the ultimate loss, right? That would be the ultimate threat of loss to us. So, and that, I don't think we're ready as a society to really embrace that. Maybe in the next hundred years, I'm theorizing, but you know, I just kind of, I just share that personal thought, just, you know, a way for, for you, if you're listening and you're interested in this, to think about why perhaps there's so much resistance in people reimagining, you know, police uh, funding and police function. It is, it threatens our very survival. So, and again, some of this is hardwired in our brain. So, um, that's another way to have empathy and compassion for your fellow humans who may not be believing in the same way that you do. Maybe you're a lot more evolved, right, in a way than they are. Um, and not like in a, in a, um, you know, um, superior type of way, but it's just another way to understand why, you know, there are huge disparities and disagreements in how we should be uh, running our national defense and our police and our law enforcement agencies and ICE and so forth. I think there's, you know, I would, I would argue there's a, co a lot of correlation um, between that and our beliefs around that and what's happening to our to the survival mechanisms of our brain okay so to bring that point home studies have shown that this negativity bias starts in us as infants okay this is what I was trying to say just literally seconds ago this is why it's so hard for us to wrap our heads around a new way of doing things because this negativity bias is so deeply ingrained in us and studies have shown that it occurs as early within the first year of life, okay? Within the first year of life, we humans start to show signs of negativity bias. What? Rewind. <laughs> Honestly, like to me, that was like, oh, I didn't learn, I didn't learn that part in school, but that was fascinating. Again, here I am geeking out, right? It explains why negativity bias elicits a stronger response and activates our brain much more powerfully. It explains why bad news, you know, sticks to us more than good news. It explains why our celebrity culture is where and what it is. It explains why our media culture is where and what it is and why they're constantly pumping out bad news. To me, this all starts to make sense from a psychological perspective. And that, that may or may not be conscious um, on some of these platforms, you know, agenda, although I did hear that some of it is by design. <laughs> um, it makes sense why it works, why we all get hooked, okay? So again, this is, you know, it's not our fault. It is an automatic response rooted in early evolutionary functioning, but there are ways we can start to step out of the paradigm and help ourselves. Thank God for psychotherapy and various evidence-based interventions, okay, which I promise I'm gonna talk about very, very shortly. 
But one more point I want to make about negativity bias is this is probably also why we are driven to win an argument or to want to be right, okay? Because if we are losing an argument or if we are wrong, that could be experienced as a loss. Therefore, that is experienced more powerfully in our system than being right or winning. So there's a lot of things that this starts to explain, right? This, this negativity bias, it can have a huge impact on our relationships and on how we move in the world. So now that we understand the biological and psychological processes at play here, how can we and how do we begin to start to turn things around and go against our very biology, right? You're probably wondering, well, then what can we do about it? Because I certainly was like, how can we work against our biology? Well, we know that our DNA and is not a, a static state, that it's a malleable state, that the body has and the brain has the capacity, the natural capacity to heal and to self-organize given, given certain circumstances and supports. So we already know that and that's why I'm pumped about the next you know few minutes because I'm going to talk about what can we do about it. So the one thing that is um, you know highly recommended, not just by myself but by a lot of other mental health professionals, is a mindfulness practice. Okay, so what does that mean? So for me, one of the the the, the concrete ways I I really um, teach people how to be mindful is through a practice called RAIN. And you may have heard me talk about that in my previous episodes. So RAIN is a mindfulness-based intervention, and it's an acronym which stands for Recognize, Allow, Investigate, and Nurture. Recognize, Allow, Investigate, and Nurture. That's what RAIN stands for. So in this practice, what it would look like is you lost, and you're having lots of feelings about it, so that would be the event. Right? You recognize that, oh, I'm in this place again where I'm feeling all these bad feelings about losing. We allow for the feelings. Basically, we don't suppress, we don't deny, we don't shame. We say yes to the uncomfortable feelings. We say, okay, you can be here too. I may not like how, you're, how these feelings are making me feel, but you can be here too. We just allow. We don't judge, we don't analyze. We're just allowing. And then in the I, we ask two questions. What am I believing in this moment, right? I'm a loser. I'm never going to get this right. There's not enough, you know, time, abundance, love for me, whatever it is, right? And what is the unmet need of the moment? What is this part of me that's really struggling and suffering need to hear or need to know or need to remember, okay? And the unmet need is really the threat. That, if you can identify the unmet need, then in essence, you've identified the threat, the psychological threat, the reason why you're suffering, okay? So once you know what that is, you can start to turn it around under N, which is nurture, by replacing the, the beliefs that you're having with more true statements, with accurate interpretations of the event. So that's a form of cognitive restructuring or what we call CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, okay? That's in essence where we watch the quality of our thoughts and we actively challenge the validity of our thoughts and replace them 
with true accurate statements. So I lost is an accurate statement versus I'm a loser, okay? So that's just kind of a simple uh, example of, of what this looks like and what's it, what this feels like. Obviously, you know, you would really need to enlist the help of a therapist to help you with um, learning how to apply these tools in your day-to-day -day life. But mindfulness techniques are known to help with negativity bias, cognitive restructuring or cognitive behavioral therapy, you know. I think normalizing loss and normalizing negativity bias can also help us just by, you know, like knowing that it's gonna happen. You're not always gonna win. And knowing that your reactions are also normal based on the science that I just talked about, uh, you know, in the last segment. So just normalizing the loss and normalizing the negativity bias and the reaction you're likely to have to a loss, okay? And then the last thing I wanna share is another mindfulness technique um, where we, you know, really try to practice being present when we are in the midst of a positive or pleasant experience or activity, okay? We really try to be present when we are in the midst of a positive experience or activity. So a simple example would be if you are drinking a milkshake or a smoothie or whatever it is you enjoy drinking, or you're eating your favorite dish, okay? If you were really to slow down the frame and you really allowed yourself to enjoy the flavors and to notice how satisfying that is and to notice the pleasant emotions and sensations you're having in your body, okay? That's what it means to be present with that experience. They say that what happens then is those experiences that you've just allowed yourself to take in leaves a deeper mark in our system than if we were to experience it dissociated or not very present. It doesn't stick as much. So if we want positive things to stick, we actually have to work a little harder, okay? This is how we go against our biology because we're wired for negativity bias, remember? We actually have to work a little harder when we are in the midst of a positive experience or activity so that we can start to really take in, you know, our system has the time to really take notice and take it in all the positive um, sensations and ex emotions associated with that experience. And this is what Tara Brock, I've mentioned her many times before, describes as how we turn a state into a trait. Okay, I'm gonna bring, break that down again. This is how we can turn a state into a trait. So, so the state of say, enjoying that dish or that drink, or that state of playing with your child or a pet, right? Like you know instantaneously, how it can shift your mood and make you feel good, that state can be prolonged and expanded so that it starts to linger longer in our system. And then it can eventually become more of an embodied trait, not something that we're just constantly working towards or working on. It can become more of a thing that we just naturally do in time and with practice. This is how we can cultivate it, okay? So I hope like I'm not talking, um, you know, kind of over people's heads here, like, 
These are really proven strategies that can help us balance our tendency and our biological hardwiring towards negativity bias. There are things we can do to be more inclined to equally focus and appreciate and be powerfully impacted by positive experiences. So I hope this was informative. I hope this gave you a new perspective on you know why it is hard for you as a person to to lose whether that's losing in a relationship losing a promotion uh losing you know if you're a business owner a company or a, a job you're bidding for you know those kind of losses why that might be hard for you to accept and why in general it's just not pleasant this is why this is why um and hopefully this also helps you be a little bit more compassionate and empathic toward other people, okay? Especially given our current political divide. Here's my, my other agenda here in towards harmony and unity. That there's a reason why half of the country is not very welcoming of the election results. That there's actually, it's not just because they're bad people or they're stubborn or they're paranoid or they're mentally ill or they're racist, like whatever the beliefs are, right? There's actually a biological process, a hard wiring towards not wanting to lose. I'm not saying it's, you know, excusing any bad behaviors, but in general, I just want you guys to start conceptualizing some of these things you're observing out there from a place of new insight, okay? And this is why, you know, there's gonna be continued power struggles. And we know all need to do our part in figuring out how we can be part of the solution and what we can do to get ourselves, ourselves, okay, first, put the oxygen mask on you first. How can you get yourself to a healthier place so that you can have the capacity for empathy and compassion and hold space for other people's processes and for where they are at in their, you know, in their evolution, really. So, like I always say, be well, be gentle, get mental because hopefully you're really starting to understand that we all have issues but we're in it together and thank you so much for listening it is my pleasure to give you this information and i hope that you have enjoyed it bye for now thanks for joining us today on get mental with cecile aarons to learn more about cecile become a sponsor or guest on get mental or if you have any questions about mental health visit transcendtherapyca.com that's transcendtherapyca.com join us next week at this same time for more talk on all things mental health on get mental with cecile aarons no,